0: No. <laughs> oh, I like that shirt. Look at those like, cute little underwear.
1: Okay, I think Hannah Musson might be coming, but we can probably go to this one. It's pretty good. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Hope you had a good fourth. If you want to stand with me, we'll do the call to worship. We're going to try
0: to
1: be a little more. Okay. Um, the call to worship this morning comes from Isaiah 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Uh, let's sing holy 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 together uh, do you want to start it sure holy 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 Be seated. Our confession of sin this morning will be from Genesis 11. And I'm sorry we keep singing holy, 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 but uh, I just find it to be such a great song. And it reminds us, remember how R.C. Sproul used to call it the thrice holy God, meaning three times holy, 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 holy. And it's when we're reminded of God's holiness that we realize our sin. And so. The confession of sin is from Genesis 11, taken from the Tower of Babel, the story of the Tower of Babylon. Um, starting in verse 4, it reads this. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will, be able, will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed from them all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So this might be an interesting passage to talk about confession of sin, but this is often what we do in our own lives. We seek to build our own cities um, without the help of the Lord. We seek to build our own towers and work our way up to God. So this morning, let's be reminded of our tendency to do that, to seek to build our own kingdom and not the kingdom of God. And let's just take a moment to confess our sins before the Lord. Amen. Um, Now let us sing number one in your (laughs) hymnal before the throne. Take our sins, we're reminded of God's grace towards us. It says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him. Pardon me. Just good news there. Um, And so our assurance of pardon comes from Romans Says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So for those of us that have put their faith in Christ, even though we'll struggle with our sin daily, like that song talked about and like we confessed, Christ has risen from the dead and sent his spirit, which we're going to talk about today, so that we don't have to fall back into the spirit of slavery, meaning fear of judgment or those sorts of things, but we can have the spirit of adoption, that Christ has adopted us into his family and we can have true assurance through him. So um, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you that you are holy. Um, but that means bad news for sinners like us. And so we come this morning confessing our sins before you, acknowledging our guilt and our shame, but in the same breath looking to Christ, looking to the cross, and looking to your spirit um, for help, assurance, and um, deliverance from our sin, and we trust in that this morning. Would you give us strength to hear your word and, um, and obey it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen confession of faith this morning, um, which some of you might not be familiar with. is just where we publicly confess truths of our faith um, together. And so this is taken from the Heidelberg Catechism. And since we're talking about Pentecost today, I thought it'd be good to um, do question 53, which, or maybe it's question 60. Sorry, I'm typo there. Question 60, we're going to, would you say these, uh, the answer with me? We're going to be answering the question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Spirit that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is given also to me, so that through true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. So if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 2, Some of you that were here last week, we kind of started looking at the book of Acts. And last week we looked at a couple things, Christ commissioning the disciples, and then we specifically looked at the ascension. And we tried to talk about the book of Acts in total, that there's a lot of confusion around the book. It's often misunderstood. People try to use it as a debate book or um, to debate, you know, which mission style should we use or... um, you know, are the gifts of the Spirit for today? Or, so we kind of use it, people use it as a debate book, or sometimes um, we use it to find, um, just as a way to say moral stories. You know, Peter prayed a lot, you need to pray a lot. Or Paul was confident, you need to be more confident. But we looked at how um, Luke begins the book of Acts saying that I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, referencing the Gospel of Luke. So we talked about how the Gospel of Luke is all that Jesus began to do and teach, and Acts is really just continuing that, Um, or you could say the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach from heaven uh, by sending his Spirit. So we looked at the Ascension last week, and we looked at specifically 1, chapter 1, verse 8, where it talks about the disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, today, just a, that's a brief review. So, today we're going to look at Pentecost, or um, the sending of the Spirit, in chapter 2. And so, there's a lot of confusion about <laughs> Pentecost today, um, about what it means, what's its significance. Um, some even think that it needs, it's an act that needs to be repeated um, regularly in the Christian life, if not weekly. And so, this can lead to a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. So, we're going to try to understand the significance of Pentecost, and from there, hopefully, better understand it and apply it. So, I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 13, and we'll pray and we'll, we'll look at the passage. So, this is Acts chapter 2. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? um, Yeah, and Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia... Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygera, and um, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrie, and visitors from realm, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is infallible and um, beneficial to our lives even now. And as we look at this amazing event of Pentecost, may we be reminded of your grace in Christ pouring out the Spirit upon believers, um, and that we need not look for another Pentecost, but look to your Spirit that gives us help, and help us to understand these things, and If we were asking the question like the people did, what does this mean? Would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see the truths of your word and to see Christ today? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, In verse (laughs) verse 12, these people are saying, what does this mean? And I feel like that's what a lot of us are asking today. What does this mean? So we're going to try to break it down into three parts. We'll see the Spirit gather We'll see the Spirit fill, and we'll see the Spirit speak. Uh, So just a helpful little outline there. So at first we'll see the Spirit gather, and we see this in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So not only did Christ tell the disciples to wait for him in Jerusalem, but there was also a festival going around. So oftentimes when we say Pentecost, we think of this event, this kind of a new covenant outpouring of the Spirit. But for Jews in that day, this was actually one of the three Jewish festivals. There were three yearly festivals. There was the Passover, there was the Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, and there was the Festival of Booths. And so, whenever... It said they were gathered on Pentecost. This was not celebrating this Christian holiday that was about to happen, or not holiday, but this Christian event that was about to happen, but this Jewish festival. And so it's no accident that the, this outpouring of the Spirit happens on Pentecost, and so we're going to try to look at that. Because you, if you remember, Jesus told the disciples to wait. And so some people might ask, why wait? You know, why not just pour out the Spirit right then? Um, but if we understand these festivals, I think we get a little bit of insight into why they had to wait. So if we think about the festival of Passover, what was that? That was the Israelites celebrating their exodus from Egypt, their deliverance from Egyptian slavery, and also the Passover lamb that was shed. The doors were covered with the blood so that the angel of death might pass over. And then 50 days after Passover, they celebrated Pentecost, So 50 days after Passover was Pentecost. This was the celebration of the first fruits is what they called it. So this was the first fruits of the harvest would be brought in, celebrating the Lord's provision for them and um, hoping for a good harvest and celebrating this event of the first fruits. You can read about this in Exodus and Leviticus. Um, And then this was also, Pentecost was also celebrating the giving of the law at Sinai. So we see these kind of Old Testament things coming in here. So, again, why does Jesus tell them to wait? Why this day of Pentecost? Christ is fulfilling here these Old Testament festivals. You might ask yourself, why don't we practice these um, Jewish festivals anymore? It's because Christ came to fulfill what those festivals pointed to. So these Old Testament feasts are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. So, if you think about it, Christ was crucified the day that the Passover lambs were killed. So Christ here is coming as the great Passover lamb, bringing this new exodus or deliverance for God's people, fulfilling what Passover pointed to. And at Pentecost, this day of first fruits, we see the Spirit poured out and these first fruits of believers of the gospel coming into the church. And we also see Christ writing the law not on tablets of stone like at Sinai, but um, hearts of flesh. And we see the promise of this even in the Old Old Testament. If you want to look with me, you can. But um, Jeremiah 31 looks to this event, um, this promise of this new covenant, uh, pouring of the Spirit. Um, If I can find Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. It's also quoted in... Hebrew in several places. Hebrews. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one through 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we see here um, this promise of this new covenant blessing. And um, this is not to say that the Spirit was not working in the Old Testament indwelling believers. But we see it kind of uh, pointed at in Jeremiah. So this is the spirit filling. So we see, it's just amazing to think about that. Of all the days that the spirit could be poured out, it was on this day of Pentecost. This outpouring of the spirit, this first fruits of believers being welcomed in. So, so that's the gathering. We see the significance of why this day, why this time. So secondly, we will look at the filling of the spirit, and we see that in verses two uh, through four where we read, and it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So, I think we can read that sometimes, and we're so familiar with the story that we sort of lose how maybe scary this event would have been. I mean, can you imagine there's how many of us in here? If... (laughs) there was just a loud sound and like a mighty rushing wind and fire appeared on all of our heads. I mean, that would, be, that would be scary a little bit. And I think we kind of read past that sometimes. But this would have been a kind of scary thing. And it would have reminded the people in a lot of ways of Mount Sinai. If we're familiar with Mount Sinai, there was a loud sound like a trumpet and fire appeared around the mountain. And so um, maybe for a split second... If we remember what it says in the Old Testament, it says that even if a beast was to touch the mountain of Sinai, that it would be stoned to death. So there was great fear around this Mount Sinai, and for a split second, maybe the disciples thought, we're toast. (laughs) These, These events could have reminded them of Mount Sinai, and there would have been maybe some sort of fear. But instead of God's wrath being poured out on them, it says the Spirit rested on them. Which is just, I think it's important to point that out, that we understand that there's something different happening. It's, um, instead of this fiery wrath, it's this fire that doesn't consume them. So this might remind us of maybe Moses and the burning bush, right? There's this burning bush that Moses sees, and there's a fire around it, but there's no smoke, and it's not being consumed. And so there's just sort of all these Old Testament things are coming up, and you might ask the question, why does it not consume them? Why is this fire on their heads, an appearance of fire, but they're not consumed? And again, if we remember Israel, they could not all go up the mountain. (laughs) They couldn't go up to Mount Sinai. They needed a mediator. So Moses would mediate for the people. He would go up the mountain. He would ascend the hill, and he would mediate or represent God's people. And so, if you remember a couple weeks back, we talked about Psalm 24 a little bit, and that question of who will ascend this hill. And so we know, because we've talked about Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, that he is the one that ascended the heavenly Mount Zion, that he has entered God's presence for us, and there mediates for his people. So, because Christ obeyed the law, suffered the punishment that sinners deserved, the Spirit can now rest on believers and not kill them, because we know that God cannot dwell among sin. So just, this is the filling of the Spirit, and just trying to point out some of those interesting contrasts there. So we've seen the gathering of the disciples, we've seen the filling of the Spirit, and finally we'll look at the speaking of the Spirit, or the Spirit speaking through these disciples, and we see that at the continuation of verse 4 through the end. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we see these people from all around gathered for this Jewish festival of Pentecost and they're all hearing these mighty words of God in their own language. And so, like I said, there's a lot of confusion around this passage, um, specifically this mention of tongues. So there's a debate whether these were angelic, tongues that only angels could hear or were these real languages um, and i think we make it more complicated than it needs to be if you just look at verse six it says this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because they were hearing them speak in their own language so i think it's, i'm confident to say that these are not angelic languages or gibberish but this is real human discernible languages that they Spirit is giving the disciples the ability to speak without having learned it. That's why it's miraculous. So, now that we've established that, we kind of have to ask the question, why languages? If you think about it, it's sort of interesting. Why, when the Spirit is poured out, why not um, miracles or, I mean, this is a miracle of sorts, but why specifically languages? Why all these people hearing this, um, from all different nations. And if you remember our confession of sin this morning, we looked at Babel. And so to put it kind of succinctly, Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. If you remember, what is Babel about? It is people unified, seeking to work their way up to God, if you will, make their own kingdom, um, They didn't like the way that God had instituted sacrifices and atonement. They wanted to do their own thing. And so what happens? God comes down in judgment and confuses their language and spreads them out. Pentecost is the exact opposite of that. It is God coming down, not in judgment, but blessing. And instead of dividing and confusing the languages, he is unifying the languages. And... This is just amazing to think about, that instead of division, there's unity. And you could say, okay, cool, what does that mean? The gospel is going to the nations. The gospel is no longer just for um, the Jewish people. It is symbolizing the gospel going out to every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we can say with confidence that Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. It is God unifying um, the nations around the gospel and the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So, in a summary, that's the text. That is, we see the disciples gathered, we see the Spirit fill them, and we see them speak. So what does this mean for us? I think it can be kind of hard to apply a passage like this to our lives because it can seem so theological- There's all these typology and Old Testament stuff. But I think it's helpful. So let's just take a minute to kind of contemplate and try to apply what we just talked about. So I have three things. First, Pentecost is a unique event that was fulfilled. And I think that this, for some of us, should give us rest in a sense. Because um, some of us grew up hearing that we need to have our own Pentecost. That we need to have one every week. Or... (coughs) If you don't, maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe, um, or maybe they wouldn't say that, but you're at least a lower-level Christian if you haven't experienced this baptism of the Spirit, if you will. But like we read in our catechism today, what, is it, what do we believe concerning the Spirit? That the Spirit is given also to me, that through faith, He makes me share in Christ in all His benefits. So we're confessing that at the cross, Christ accomplished redemption for believers, and the Spirit, upon conversion, applies the benefits that Christ wants. So we don't need to wait for this second event to somehow reach this higher level of Christianity or communion with God. Um, we've achieved that through, I mean Christ has achieved that through um, the effectual calling of the Spirit. So I think that that's helpful and that helps us have rest, and see the true work of the Spirit in the proclamation of the gospel and um, saving sinners. So, that's the first point. The second point is, might be sort of interesting, so just hang with me for a second. For those trusting in Jesus, the fire of God's judgment will not consume us. And like I said, so I'll say that again. For those trusting in Jesus, the fire of God's judgment will not consume us. And you might say, Kindle, what are you talking about? What does that mean? But like we talked about, that fiery judgment is awaiting all those that do not repent. That um, sort of what that mountain signifies and all these things, that there is a judgment coming for those that do not trust in Christ. But we see here sort of a picture this fire that does not consume. And so... Because we have the Spirit in places like Ephesians 1 talk about this down payment of the Spirit, this seal of our um, salvation, that we can trust that God's Spirit will rest, is resting on us and will save us. And we don't have to fear God's fire and judgment, but we can trust His Spirit will save us. So just an interesting parallel there. And then finally, um, here we see Christ building His church at Pentecost. So Christ said in the Gospels, like we talked about last week, "I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it." And we see at Pentecost the outpouring of the Spirit and going to all nations and all peoples and all tongues. Um, so it's just amazing to think about this that Christ is building from Christ from heaven is building His church, the temple of God. And uh, I was just thinking of First Peter two, where it says this. And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we see that believers are now these living stones that are going to make up the temple of God where spiritual sacrifices will be offered um, and spiritual worship will... um, be given to God and so I think this gives us confidence in this uncertain time where some churches aren't meeting where um, there's lots of attacks against the church that we can know that Christ is going to build his church that the gates of hell won't prevail against it and that it, it is going to the nations that people are being saved we are thousands of miles away from Jerusalem the event where this happened and we here in Decatur Illinois are proof that Christ keeps his word that the gospel will go to the nations. And this should give us confidence um, in the simple preaching of the word that it doesn't take smoke machines or all these sorts of things to um, save people, but it is the proclamation of the gospel to all people. So, um, yeah, just some good things to think about as we think about Pentecost. Hopefully that's helpful. So let's pray and we'll conclude our service. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for coming um, and sending your spirit at Pentecost. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see the truths of your word, that we would not look for another Pentecost, but we would look to the festival of booths, the end of the harvest where all the elect will be gathered in. And we can um, rejoice with you at your second coming, knowing that you have fulfilled your word that the gospel has gone to the nations and we look forward Lord not to this earth but the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells so help us to see that by faith this morning and give us the strength to live in this world um, to fight our sin to seek to obey you and live for you in the name of Christ our final song will be Psalm 23 so uh, it's not too often that we sing psalms in church, uh, which is sad because Paul calls us to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So uh, if you look, you'll have Psalm 23. It's number seven. It should be on the back, and we'll sing it to the tune of "Amazing Grace." So um, just think, "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved your wretch like me." But we'll be singing Psalm twenty-three, so we'll be singing God's word, which is pretty great. And it might take a little bit of time, um, but just work with it. So, with it. yeah.
0: The Lord's my shepherd. Yeah. him all creatures here below Praise him above ye heavenly hosts Praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost Amen
1: the benediction is from Ephesians 3 You guys can hang out as long as you want.